Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It is December 6, 2018. I am Charlie Sykes, joined by Michael Warren of the Weekly Standard. How are you? Thanks for joining me this morning. Thanks for having me, Charlie. You know, I was, uh, like like a lot of Americans, I was uh, listening uh, and watching um, on and off uh, the, the funeral of George H.W. Bush yesterday. And I don't have the direct quote in front of me, but I think it was Susan Glasser who made a really interesting point that we've come to this point where in in Washington in particular, we, we've, we've come to – there are only feel-good moments or funerals. I think it was, it was, it was something like that. Um, this, this was an extraordinary event, and you, you put it in context with, with, with John McCain. And I know everything you know, is, is not about Donald Trump, but it really – these have been powerful affirmations of certain American values and traits of, of character. And, and I have to admit, uh, maybe it's a sign of my advanced age, Michael, but uh, I, find these, I find these events to be extraordinarily moving. I, I agree. Um, I'm not as advanced. I, can, I think I can say in age as you, and I, I, I also find them moving. So I think that uh, that maybe says it's, it's not about that. So, I, yeah, I, I think um, – uh, and, and, th- and I think Bill Crystal said this earlier this week on the, on the podcast. Like you never know how an event like this or an event like the McCain funeral, things that the whole nation is watching, which are – extremely rare these days besides the Super Bowl and not even that you know um, it's 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 very rare to have kind of the nation's attention directed toward one thing you never know what the testimonials what the images that we saw I mean seeing all of those former presidents former vice presidents um, uh, obviously current president and vice president um, all together and then the Bush family as well um, what what kind of ripple effects um, that may have or or could not have, but at the at the, at the very least, I thought, uh, and I was watching it on on television, that it was a um, it was just a moving reminder of of this particular man and of what this particular man stood for, um, which was in the end, I think, service and what service means. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what service means to your family, to your um, to your party, to your uh, administration. In the case of the several administrations that 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 George Bush worked for, and to your country, obviously, um, and, and and to the sort of greater causes that um, that I think George Bush associated with the United States of America, the the charity, the um, uh, decency, standing up for what's right, um, and so it was. In the very narrow sense, it was a it was a it was a good uh, commemoration and a good way for the nation to sort of think about what did this man really have to offer us and what can we learn from mm-hmm. him. Still, it, it's also a reminder how how history changes and you know shades uh, your perceptions because, and and again, I I don't want to be misunderstood here, but you know, in real time. George H.W. Bush did not seem like a towering figure. In, in, in fact, uh, at the end of his presidency, uh, I think you could be forgiven for thinking that he would be regarded as kind of a parenthesis, uh, you know, after after a towering figure like Ronald Reagan before the uh, the Sturm und Drang of the of the 1990s and his own son's presidency. So there was not a lot of drama. Uh, people were not as passionate about him, either pro or anti. And yet. In in death, he really did seem you no know, larger than life. Uh, the and, and it is those personal qualities, 
And maybe it's because we're at a point now where we're willing to acknowledge uh, the, those values, as you described, of of, of service and 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 of uh, character. I don't know whether you can, saw the. Can I can those, I say something yeah, about that yeah, real quick, sure, Charlie? Because this yeah. is something I've been thinking about uh, when you think about George Bush's career. Um, uh, you know, he served in Congress for a couple of terms. He he ran for Senate and lost. Um, you know, he twice he, he, exactly. He had some really uh, kind of crummy jobs in the sense that uh, there was not a lot of um, glory in them. He was the UN ambassador um, at the, in the second uh, term of the, or I guess crossing over the second and first and second term of the Nixon administration. Then he took over the RNC during Watergate. Uh, that couldn't have been pleasant. Um, he was uh, the special envoy. I can't remember the exact term. He wasn't technically the ambassador to China because we didn't have an ambassador to China at the time, but he sort of he and Barb, Barbara went to uh, Beijing and sort of occupied this very strange uh, position within the United States uh, diplomatic corps. Um, then he, you know, ran for president and lost and was sort of the last minute. Yeah. You should definitely read, try to read his the the accounts of what uh, of his selection as vice president it was a very last minute kind of uh, 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 mm-hmm. uh, uh, effort. Um, and then and then he serves one term as president. And and so you would think that. Uh, that that kind of career, even though he he reaches the height of of the presidency, sort of winning just one term, uh, strikes everybody as you know as at, least, at the very least potential that was never fully reached. Or and, and I think that the 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 strength of his character, the strength of um, of of what he stood for, kind of uh, uh, compensates or really overcompensates for what we might have perceived at the time as being um, a, a, a which which is insane to think about, but a middling political yeah. career. It's it's I think that speaks largely to the the man himself, uh, as you said, and I just I've been reflecting on that. Uh, yeah, no, you're you're you're, you're exactly right, and uh, but what an extraordinary career that was when you think about it, and. Uh, the nature of our politics, I think, probably dictates as long as you and I are going to be around that there's not going to be anyone with that kind of of, of, a, of, a, of a storied career um, all, you know, all of those different aspects. Uh, I did think that one of the real highlights of the uh, of the service was John Meacham, who was uh, extraordinary. And many, many people made the same comment that they were hoping that John Meacham would deliver the eulogy at their funeral. <clears throat> yeah. But I, I don't know if you saw the the item that after the, it was over, he he said that, uh, in fact, he had read that eulogy to President Bush. Uh, and the President Bush's reaction was, well, there's a lot about me in there, John. Um, but but in, in terms of leading a, a full and happy life and, and what used to be known as the happy death, to actually hear your own eulogy, a rather extraordinary thing. We, sh- we should all be so – uh, so lucky. I, I, I agree. I agree. But you know, I would have liked to have it read by Brian Mulroney, the uh, the former <laughs> Canadian Prime Minister who also spoke. I mean, that voice uh, just sort of uh, it, it 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 sounds like um, you know a a reading of the you know that would be a perfect voice for like the reading of a, of a Christmas Carol, you know, in, in a movie, a narration or something like that. It just had this kind of uh, flinty, warm. Uh, uh, quality to it. It was. It was I thought that was a, a. It was an excellent uh, addition as well. One that surprised me. I guess I. I knew that Mulroney and Bush had obviously served together at is when Bush was vice president and then president. Uh, but I didn't realize how close they were personally, and that that came through in in, in that address as well. Okay, just one, one one last comment on all of this. That uh, again, in, in in real time, I don't think that anybody would have thought that uh, George H. W. Bush would have been 
remembered as as, as one of the significant conservative leaders or, or thinkers of, of of our time. But in retrospect, he was a profoundly conservative figure. You know, even though you could talk about the, the tax increases or some of the legislation that that that, that he passed uh, here and there, uh, you know, listening to his his inaugural address where he talked about his vision of the country, and I know that the things like the thousand points of light were ridiculed. Uh, you know, the kinder and gentler country, but but also you know what American values were about. You know, there is something profoundly conservative about that, and I was really struck by. And I don't think of him as an eloquent man, but when he talks about uh, at the end of the day, you know, we measure our success not by the size of our bank accounts or how many cars we have, but by, you know, other other American values. And uh, again, I think that he was uh, greatly underappreciated. But of course, you know, now that we're at this point uh, trying to decide what does the word conservative mean, he was a, a, a towering conservative figure, perhaps not in the orthodox dogmatic way. Right. But, you know, I, I think that in many ways you can if you if you are a conservative um, in, in many ways, a figure like that is somebody who um, who can be useful and, and who can be a, a, an ally in, in, in achieving, um, you know, conservative goals. And um, I think we forget. And, and of course, I, I'm too young to really uh, appreciate this, although I've read a lot and, and, and understand it. George Bush was the first president I really have have a good memory of uh, of living when he hmm. was president. Um, but the the end of the Cold War. I mean, let's not forget that this was uh, really the 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 top conservative priority um, uh, throughout yeah. the Cold War was ending it in a way that was not uh, detente, was not um, uh, in, in some kind of uh, of happy uh, uh, but uneasy peace, but but a victory for capitalism for the West and for the United States over the uh, Soviet Union, and 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 this was a this was a major achievement. Yes, Reagan, of course, deserves a lot of credit for, for what happened in the run-up of the 80s, but the management, again, you've talked about this with with uh, Bill Crystal and Andy Ferguson, yeah. who, who, were, who knew it better, but it is a remarkable achievement and something that I think young people don't fully appreciate because because of the success of George Bush and the way he managed that um, it, it's that he, in many ways he's a victim of uh, of his success uh, in in winding down uh, the Cold War in a in a real victory for for us um, yeah and, and by the way I don't want to gloss over that point that that sometimes you uh, you you are so successful that you undermine your own image because yeah it's uh, that 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 achievement was extraordinary and it was not necessarily inevitable I, I think the mistake we sometimes make is well he was just there he was the caretaker when it happened uh you know empires do not fall without a shot on a regular basis and uh, that achievement shouldn't be underrated i also heard somebody talking about the the fact that you know some of the legislation that they passed dealing with acid rain um again nobody talks about it anymore because it's not a problem anymore that that one time you know, this was a major. This was one of the the top environmental problems. Uh, you know, dealing you know, f- facing the United States and Canada, and the legislation that that he, he signed has basically taken that off the agenda. People don't even like think about acid rain anymore because he was uh, so successful. You know, and you you started off by mentioning that you know what uh, what Bill Crystal said about uh, sometimes we don't know what the effects of of these things are. Uh, you know, the, the the seeds they they plant. I. I'm sitting here this morning uh, before we started doing this, writing writing a story, uh, writing an article about uh, my home state of Wisconsin and what's going on. This sort of you know last minute you know power grab and everything, which I, I'm going to argue is not as big as people think it is. Which also then raises the question: Is it worth spending all that political capital? But I do wonder 
whether someone like Scott Walker, who has suffered obviously a, a, a deep and humiliating defeat, because all defeats are humiliating ultimately, um, like George Bush did in 1992, is going to spend some moments sitting back and going, thinking, you know, how do I want to be remembered? How do I want to leave office? Um, and that to the contrast between George Bush leaving that extraordinary note for Bill Clinton, uh, which which I think looms larger in, in retrospect than it did perhaps at the time for many of us, that, that gracious note, you know, saying that he was rooting for Bill Clinton and the relationship he later had with Bill Clinton, you know, might not make people think, okay, how do I want to leave office? How do I want to handle the the peaceful transfer of, of of power? If you want to have a role model, do you really want to look at Donald Trump or do you want to look at uh, George H.W. Bush? And I have no idea whether that's going to have any effect on the way the decisions people make. But I mean, if I'm you know if I'm somebody like Scott Walker and I'm 51 years old and I'm starting to think I may have 30 more years in politics. Um, I have a long time to shape what kind of politics uh, that I want to be associated with and how I want to be remembered. Uh, you, you do. I think it is possible that, uh, that, that moments like this get people to think, you know, what is my legacy going to be? What are the qualities that are going to endure um, after, after, I am, after I am gone? Hey, I wanted to talk to you about something you're working on right now. Um, a work in progress, but you've already posted some things about it. Uh, Michael Warren, you are working on a piece about Nikki Haley, uh, who certainly remains one of the most intriguing political uh, figures of our time. She is stepping down uh, at the end of this year, is that right, as, uh, as UN ambassador? That's right. So December. just tell, tell, tell me what, uh, what you've learned and, uh, and what, what you're able to, to share with, uh, with us about uh, your reporting uh, to date. Sure. Uh, December 31st um, is her last day as UN ambassador. She announced this back in October. Um, and what's remarkable about about this is that uh, she seems to be, by my uh, account, the, the only Trump cabinet member so far to really truly leave by her own on her own volition. Um, she uh, has um, uh, she's sort of towed there. She, she's walked a tightrope, I think, um, in the during the Trump administration. Um, I think helped in part by being in New York as the UN ambassador and sort of being uh, away from the kind of Washington. Um, uh, sort of news media uh, political machine a bit. Um, and uh, look, she's 46 years old. Um, you know, you're talking about Scott Walker. You're talking about these these other people who, who have entire, basically entire political careers ahead of them. Um, I think Haley is somebody to think very long and, and hard about, about where, uh, and she certainly do this, doing this as well, about where her political future lies. Um, she is somebody who... Um, can, if she wants to, and I think has done a good job so far of staking out her own political brand that is really separate from, uh, mm. from Trump in a way that so many other members of the Trump cabinet who might have political aspirations, which there are, uh, in, in the future, which there are fewer than you think, um, uh, in ways that they haven't been able to. So for instance, um, uh, Nikki Haley is staying in New York, um, after she, she leaves, uh, office. She told me in an interview this week, um, that she's doing that because she has a son who's still in high school and he's been in high school there in New York. So she's sticking around there. Um, maybe that's a little more convenient of a, of a, of a 
an explanation because New York also happens to be kind of a center of a, of a, of, of the media world. Um, if she wanted to stay involved in talking about things, it, you could find worse places uh, to be. Um, and that she's also considering writing, and I think there, there's a reason to think that it's more than just consideration. She's considering writing another book. Um, so hmm. these are these are things that uh, somebody with uh, with a political political ambitions and political future um, might be might be doing. And uh, she tell, seems tell to be me doing about them. this book. And first of all, when when will it be published? She she will not say um, even if she is actually uh, working mm-hmm. on a book uh, or will think about mm-hmm. working on a book. There's and and there's some sort of practical legal reasons why this is the case. Um, she's still a employee of the State Department, and right. there are rules about what she can do. And um, I I think there is no reason to think she's she's looking to to violate any of those. Um, but um, I would imagine uh, sometime in the next year or so we might see uh, an, a book from her about. Now we've got one already. She wrote one in 2012 um, that sort of documented her uh, the, the kind of tumultuous uh, uh, gubernatorial primary, the Republican primary in 2010, which was it's a fascinating story. Um, um, uh, the book the book less so, but that's fine. Um, uh, and uh, and so this would sort of be uh, uh, reflecting on yeah. what happened since 2012, um, well, which I mean, would include yeah, her, I mean, her time I, in the Trump administration. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the timing of the book. The reason I'm asking the question is is that uh, people who are running for president often write books. And uh, so, you know, we're talking, is it before 2020 or after 2020, that would be a huge signal. You know, you you said something that was very intriguing. You said, you know, that she has really, you know, created a political, pers- you know, unlike almost anybody else in the Trump world, created a, a pers- you know, a political persona that is separate from Donald Trump. How has she been able to do that? How has she been able to finesse being independent while still being a trusted part of that universe? Well, she she certainly does not um, uh, dismiss the president. Um, you know, in, in in terms of you know, she she's she's not foolish in the sense of um, uh, sort of speaking. <laughs> Uh, dismissively of him or the things that he says when she's asked. Um, and, and the contrast to that would be, um, say, Rex Tillerson when he was Secretary of State or even currently Jim Mattis. I mean, there are things that Jim Mattis says that seem to almost be signals um, to counteract what 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 Trump may be uh, saying or doing. And she doesn't do that. So she, she doesn't do things that fall into the president's uh, or that, that 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 might annoy the president, um, but again, being in New York, um, she they have done a very good job of sort of promoting her uh, big speeches at the UN. Um, you know, castigating the 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 group of horribles that 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 always seem to be trying to uh, do anti-Israel or anti-American resolutions that sort of thing. Um, she's done a good job. You can think about moments when you've seen her videos either online or even sometimes carried on on cable news uh, uh, of, of these kind of uh, tough, I wouldn't even call them fiery, but kind of steel, steely uh, uh, speeches. Um, uh, and I think that, that, that being in that foreign policy realm uh, has helped her kind of establish herself as a, you know, a small state Southern governor coming into this has sort of given her more of a platform to talk about bigger things. She told me this week that she wants to talk about, continue talking about foreign policy. She's been able to sort of give herself a platform to do that. Um, that is, is really truly kind of separated from what the Trump administration has been, has been doing while at the hmm. same time fulfilling, you know, things on the North Korean sanctions, 
um, uh, you know, uh, laying the groundwork for moving the the American embassy into uh, Jerusalem. She's been a part of those while still kind of speaking almost more broadly about American interests that 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 sort of uh, uh, again kind of rise above whatever the Trump administration um, or rather what President Trump may be talking about on any given so, day. So, what do you think she's up to? What, 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 is, what does Nikki Haley want to do when she grows up? That's a good question. What I'm trying <laughs> I'm to, sure that, that is the focus. What I'm trying to question. answer. No, and it's. I mean, it's. I would say the the story. The story is. Um, uh, the the jury is out on that. I'm trying to figure that out. I think it's very clear though that um, she believes um, she has more to say. I mean, she said she told me as much. Um, uh, she wants to be involved. Um, you know, I asked her about. Um, Things that I've heard from, say, young women, uh, you know, uh, mid twenties to to mid thirties, um, who are conservative leaning, uh, Republican leaning, um, who regularly cite her. This is anecdotal, um, but I think it, it speaks to a larger truth. Regularly cite her as uh, as somebody they admire in politics, in 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 particularly Republican politics. Um, I think she's aware of that. She's aware that the party. Um, even if she doesn't say so explicitly that the party has a problem with these type of voters. Um, and she's sort of aware that she has something to say to them. Um, whether that means 2020, whether that means 2024, it's really hard to say. Um, I would really like a good answer to that question. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so check back with me next well, week. Maybe I'll have a well, better it's, one. It's very, it's very interesting because as you point out, she, she has all of those, uh, you know, cross, uh, appeals. And also, you you think of you know post Trump Republicanism. She is somebody that appeals to virtually every faction. I'm, I'm sure I'm sure that I'm missing something. I mean, I because I, I don't know what the what the woolier factions you know on the on the far reaches of the fever swamps might uh, might think about that. Uh, but uh, her her Trump credentials are solid, without the sense that she has totally compromised herself. Say in a in a way that uh, a Mike Pence would be. Correct. And I'm trying to think who else would, has that kind of stature at the moment. And I'm kind of coming up empty. I mean, she she really does, you know, uh, you know, fit a a very unique position right now uh, in Republican politics post Trump. That that's right. And again, this could be a function of her being separated, um, being in New York, and and sort of being not having to uh, address in the way that people in Washington who work for the administration really have to address, what do you think of the president's tweet today? You know, what, what, what about this? What about that? Um, so, so maybe, um, maybe this is, uh, has been a benefit to her that, uh, that, that sort of not, uh, if she ever moved to Washington, say, or she ever started, started running for office, um, that she wouldn't, um, she wouldn't be able to, to so easily sidestep. But at the moment, I agree with you, Charlie, that she is in a unique position as she is in a unique position. As I said, at the beginning of this conversation, leaving the Trump administration. So she's one to watch. That's why I'm writing about her. Okay. I, I, want, I want to ask you about uh, some things that are happening in the news uh, today. This is going to be uh, quite a week, and it's already turning out to be quite a day. But today's Daily Standard podcast is brought to you by Mrs. Fields. Look, uh, everybody's got a memory of the worst or weirdest holiday gift you've ever gotten. Don't you wish they'd just given you cookies instead? For more than 40 years, Mrs. Fields has made delicious treats, chocolate chip cookies, those handcrafted frosted favorites to melt in your mouth brownies. Mrs. Fields' gourmet gift tins and baskets make the perfect present to surprise and delight anyone on your list this season. At Mrs. Fields, the cookies and sweets are baked daily, always arrive fresh and flavorful, and ordering is incredibly easy. And they can shift your gift. They can ship your gift anywhere across the U.S. And you can add a personal touch with a custom message 
company logo, or a family photo. Mrs. Fields even offers a 100% customer satisfaction guarantee, which is pretty sweet. This year, you can send a fresh-baked gift that no one can resist. Look, right now, get 20% off your order when you go to MrsFields.com and enter promo code STANDARD. That's 20% off any gift at MrsFields.com, promo code STANDARD. MrsFields.com, promo code STANDARD. And, you know, uh, I'm actually going to be relying on this. This is the perfect way of going through your list and thinking, you know, do I want to send somebody something that they're going to like or not like? And this is the guarantee. This is just nailing it. Okay, so, uh, Michael, uh, we're taping this in the morning. I want to uh, uh, make it clear that things may change by the time uh, people are actually listening to this. But uh, um, I'm slightly surprised by the fact that the stock market is extending its huge uh, losses. An hour ago, it was down 500 points, uh, market negative for 2018. And uh, most analysts are saying that, uh, look, a lot of global uncertainty. Uh, The president's back and forth comments about tariffs have not helped. Obviously, there's a lot of other things that are going on here. But you do wonder, one of the the, the, constants – in the last, well, in the last year and a half, the, the first uh, half of the Trump presidency has been a strong, growing, vibrant, optimistic economy. You know, how does, how, uh, how fundamentally does it change the political dynamic if, in fact, we, we you know, we, this bubble has been burst, uh, that the, the stock market's going down? I want to, by the way, caveat this, that simply because it's down two days in a row does not necessarily mean that 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 is happening, does not mean we're going into a recession, all of those things. But of all of the bad news that the Trump administration has gotten, I think this has to rank right up there. I I tend to agree with you with all this, again, with all the same caveats about about what could happen. Um, But, you know, it's one of these things that seems like a um, a kind of a slow burn uh, that 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 might that might be the 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 end result of this, um, which is. The one thing that's been buoying Trump, I believe, in, mm-hmm. in the sort of uh, in the polls, is the good economy. So if it feels Absolutely. as if the economy is faltering, and look, you, you don't have to believe me on this. This is what Republicans and particularly the president say all the time. You know, the economy is doing great. So when, if the economy seems to be faltering. And we should also point out the stock market is not the only indicator of economic health, and um, sometimes we can read too much into that. But at the same time, it is the stock market, and then and if it's falling uh, two days in a row at these at these uh, levels, that's not good news. Um, so I I think it's a wait and see uh, at this point. Um, right. Like if, I, 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 by the way, I think that's that's right. <laughs> I, and I'm really you know now thinking. You know, again, who knows what we're going to be by the time this podcast airs? I mean, it's down about 600 points right now. The oh, but- thing that strikes me as as significant about this is that I think that it is possible to draw and you know, to connect some dots between the president's own policies and his own comments and his own approach to these issues into what's happening to the stock market. You know, often the, the we, we exaggerate the impact of the president or any particular policy on the markets. In this particular case, um, you, you can see where, in fact, it is affecting the markets. Yeah, no, I uh, yeah, and and I think that, and and it's interesting, like to analyze in a way. It's it's difficult to analyze exactly why a stock market does very well or does very poorly. Um, it's like one of these things that gets sort of teased out years later, and people sort of realize, oh, this is what happened. But um, you know, even going into 
um, uh, last year, and there, you know, the, the economy seemed to be booming, the stock market was up, and all these things. There was this sense that. Um, the expectation of, say, tax reform, um, the expectation of regulations being loosened, that this was um, uh, uh, this was really what was happening with this with this stock market uh, uh, explosion and, and the economy doing so well. Um, and you have to and you have to wonder if um, that was simply being the economy was simply being held up by that. That the all the other fears about uh, uncertainty with trade, the uncertainty with these things, that this could um, that this could really uh, uh, win that when the 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 shine of the tax reform, the shine of the regulations had sort of worn off, um, that that this would be the result. And and I think that's a that's a possible explanation for it. It cannot be helpful um, to have. All of this uncertainty uh, about trade. It cannot be helpful to have the president himself um, uh, sort of stoking um, uh, that uncertainty. And um, it, uh, eventually, I feel like the the bill comes due on these things. And I fear that's what we're mm-hmm. that's what we're seeing now. So, what else are you uh, obsessed about or working on that we should keep our eye on in the next twenty four forty eight hours? Oh, geez. Uh, well, you know, it'd be interesting to see what happens um, in the sort of uh, uh, the pre-negotiations um, with uh, with Nancy Pelosi's speaker. Um, she's saying now no deal on DACA for a wall. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a preview. We're getting a preview of how difficult the president's life is going to be over the next two years. Set, just take away the Mueller stuff, which, of course, tomorrow I could get into that as well. Tomorrow could yeah. be a, could be a huge day, but take that all away for a it second. W- it will be. It will be a huge. It day, will be right? a huge because day. we're going to get the Manafort uh, sentencing documents. That's right. That's right. So, um, but but there for, may be redactions. Uh, yeah, just like just like the Flynn one. Yeah, there may be a few redactions. <laughs> Maybe, um, uh, but I, I do think if you just look at the congressional side of things and and sort of what what the relationship is, um, you know, be- between the two poles of Pennsylvania Avenue, it's it's not going to be fun for the president. It's going to be difficult, and um, all the sort of goodwill he may have thought he he got sort of by you know with uh, having these conversations with Chuck and Nancy, um, it's it's not going to there's not going to be a lot of legislative victories, and there's just going to be a lot of pain. With these investigations, and and then okay, now add in Mueller, now add in that uncertainty as well, um, and what what we could find out from from Manafort uh, from these documents. Um, it's um, well, it may not be a very merry Christmas in the in the Trump White House. Well, and and it's going to be complicated for members of Congress as well in terms of what kind of deals they can cut with Donald Trump because it's it's easy to anticipate, I mean, to imagine what compromises would look like. But I'm having a hard time imagining the Democratic Party base allowing their leadership to engage in some of this. There was a remember when Chuck Schumer. It appeared to sort of hint that there might be some sort of a trade-off between the wall and and DACA. The blowback he got from rank and file uh, Democrats, progressive activists, was uh, was was pretty impressive, and and he's he's backed off on this. So their ability to actually sit in that room and compromise and come up with with deals is uh, uh is going to be quite limited. And I'm 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 fascinated to to see how the Democrats are going to finesse things like the infrastructure bill and how that will play out and how that might scramble some of the uh, political alliances. So, hey, never a dull moment around here. Michael Warren, thank you so much for joining me um, on a busy Thursday. And thank you for listening to the Daily Standard podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We will be back tomorrow and we will do this all over again.